1: On this week's
3: episode of The Timeline, editor in chief of Hoops Habit and Phoenix Suns reporter Gerald Bourget, and NBA writer for NBAmath.com Nate Wolf. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. Basketball is almost back and I'm so excited. My name is Mike Hills. Sam Cooper, how are you doing?
4: I'm doing great, Mike. It's almost back. It's almost back. We still only have... Uh, media day and training camp to talk about for now. But guys, it's almost back. Preseason basketball is a few days away and that's that's really exciting.
3: We have a really special episode uh, this week. We have Gerald Bourguet from Hoops Habit coming on. He's going to talk about media day uh, as we all saw lots of great stuff coming out of media day. We also have Nate Wolf from nbamath.com who wrote a really excellent article about Devin Booker. Um, we're going to talk about that at the end of the podcast as well. So two great guests coming up. But Sam and I just wanted to talk about a little bit of things that have been coming out about the team uh, this last week before we get to that. Um, And the main thing is a whole bunch of nothing, (laughs) really, (laughs) because the Phoenix Suns were involved with the largest NBA storyline right now, which is Jimmy Butler. We talked about Jimmy Butler on our last podcast, focused on whether or not the Suns should try and make an offer to Jimmy Butler. It's pretty conclusive that we are not going to do that, but the team did get brought up in a lot of other aspects. People were wondering, were the Suns going to get involved as a third team to try and facilitate a trade and get a starting point guard out of that with the two names being thrown out? Well, three names, I guess we could say. Uh, Jeff Teague, Goran Dragic, and Tyus Jones. So three point guards currently on other teams that are involved in trade talks. Two of them, of course, Jeff Teague and Tyus Jones on the Timberwolves, and then Goran Dragic, on the Heat, a uh, potential landing spot for Jimmy Butler. So there's a lot to talk about with those players that are involved there. Um, my main thing that I took away, I was hoping for Goran Dragic. I don't know. Sam, what what did you feel about all these rumors coming out?
4: Well, here's the way I feel about those three players is I hate to be nitpicky because we need a point card. And... If we don't get a point guard, then we may be losing a lot of games. But on the other hand, I think you can point to to pretty interesting logical arguments as to why the Suns would not really be as interested in any of those three players as some people have suggested. First of all, Goran Dragic and Jeff Teague are are good players, and I I like Goran, and I would be an advocate for a return. However, both of them have player options for the 2019-2020 season worth $19 million. And if you buy into this idea that the entire point of signing Trevor Ariza to a one-year deal and uh, sort of getting Ryan Anderson to walk back the guarantee on his contract so that he could potentially be waived and stretched and the Suns could do um, all of this stuff to create a max contract slot for free agency next year, then I think it's unlikely that they would really be willing to take on a guy who's going to make $19 million a couple years from now, especially a guy like Goran Dragic, who's already on the wrong side of 30, uh, or a guy like Jeff Teague, who has been mostly unimpressive his past couple of years, although he is a, a solid playmaker. And regarding Tyus Jones, it's sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh he's an interesting young player, but he doesn't really move the needle that much. And and frankly, when comparing him to what we have in Shaq Harrison and Elia Kobo, and Isaiah Cannon and T. Anthony Melton as well, I just don't see how that acquisition would really make any sort of difference. It might come at a lower cost, but if the Suns are still thinking about acquiring a point guard before the season starts, I think we sort of have a mid-tier of players that they've been linked to in the past, like Patrick Beverley and Milos Teodosic, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, Corey Joseph, guys who are really going to come at a cheaper cost and are on shorter-term deals than a Goran Dragic or Jeff Teague, uh, but have a little bit more experience than a guy as young as Tyus Jones.
3: Now, I agree basically with everything that you said. But there's one thing that I've been thinking about when it comes to this whole conversation that just keeps sticking with me. And that's anytime any player is brought up who maybe isn't the exact same age as the core, the timeline, if you will, and and we look at them, uh, a lot of Suns fans' initial reactions are, no, let's not do it. Their contract is too big. Their contract is too big. They're, they're, they're paid too much. They're, it's just something that's not going to work. But what I, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm just thinking... Well, what, what are we going to get then? If, if, if every single player we look at who's paid a reasonable amount of money, uh, 19 million, a lot of money, of course it's a lot of money, it's 19 million dollars, but it's actually not a lot of money compared to what a player can make in today's NBA. It's about half of what a max contract is nowadays, so it's not this massive, massive contract to take on. But I, what I, what my point I'm trying to get at is, if we're looking at getting a starting point guard, that's what they're paid. That's about what a starting point guard makes. So if we're talking about getting a starting point guard, if we're serious about getting a starting point guard, we have to come to terms with the fact that they're going to make about $20 million. That's what a starter makes nowadays. And a point guard, one of the most important positions on the floor, makes maybe even more than that in in a lot of scenarios. So uh, I guess the point is for a lot of Suns fans who are listening to this, get ready. Get ready for that because that's likely what's going to happen. And if it doesn't come this year in, uh, in some sort of trade, it's probably going to come next year in free agency and that's the going rate. They're going to make a lot of money. We can't just turn down every player that makes 19 to 20 million dollars just because we think that that's too much. Yes, it's a lot compared to all the players we have on our roster, but we have one of those rare rosters that's filled with young guys who are underpaid. Devin Booker's making just over three million dollars next season. Uh, DeAndre A and eight million. These guys could easily outperform that but that's only because they're on rookie contracts. That's not what they're actually maybe deserving, especially Devin Booker, of getting, and we know what he's going to go up to in the coming years after his extension kicks in. I just think we can't shut down the idea of a point guard who's a starting point guard just because they get paid as much as a starting point guard gets paid. So Suns fans, get ready for that. That's going to come at some point. What do you think about that?
4: You're right. That's... Perfectly reasonable. And I understand a lot of your frustration. I felt it at various points as well. Um, if the Suns go after a point guard in free agency, we're talking about a guy like Kemba Walker, or Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio, for instance, probably another one of these not so amazing starting caliber point guards that is going to command something like $20 million on the open market. So I, I agree with you that it's coming, I guess, to play devil's advocate and argue from the side of the fans that are really, really into this concept of the timeline. If you take on the money associated with a guy like Goran Dragic, who is, again, past 30, I don't remember his exact age, but I think maybe 31 at this
3: point? I think he's 31. Yeah, yeah.
4: 31. What's your ceiling with Goran Dragic or Jeff Teague as your starting point guard? Can you make the argument that I mean, is the ceiling of a team that's built around that type of player as its playmaker, uh, especially when you're throwing that much money at those types of players, is it a first round exit? Is it a second round exit? Can you build ultimately the championship contender that gets past the Houston's and the Golden States of the NBA? uh, If you take on those sorts of deals, sort of just accepting that uh, we're willing to overpay, we know it's an overpay, but we have to do it anyway.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think when we look at these guys, we kind of look at uh, what can we get in these upcoming seasons. But I think the point that I've been making ever since our free agency episode, which I think was our third episode, was the value of cap space and how the value of your cap space changes based on where your team is. The Suns had a ton of cap space this last year, and they, and they ended up using it, $15 million of it, on one year of a 34-year-old veteran. And the the it's because the value of that cap space was not very high because the Suns were not a winning team. So as we look forward on the team, that potential value of that cap space goes up if the team performs well over the next few years. And that means if you look at that cap space and you say, okay, should we pre- be preserving cap space for the end of this season? Well, that depends. How good do you think we are going to be? How valuable will that cap space be based on how good of a destination the team becomes Because maybe we're not going to be that good. I I don't know how good we're going to be this coming year. That cap space might be more valuable in the 2021 offseason. It might be more valuable down the road in the future. And I think maybe we're rushing things a little too much, and I understand why. But we do have Devin Booker locked down. We do have DeAndre Ayton for years. We do have Josh Jackson for years. Maybe we don't. Uh, push it too much or maybe we're allow the team to become sort of a more valuable destination for free agents by adding a few veterans that can show how good our young guys can be when surrounded by actual talent and then that cap space becomes more valuable down the road in the future. It's just a, it's just a balance that a balancing act that we have to put on here and I'm not exactly sure what the best solution is but I think you can't do both things. You can't complain that we don't have a starting point guard and then complain that the only starting point guards available are paid as much as a starting point guard. Choose one or the other. Either you're okay paying a starting point guard starting point guard money or you're okay running with the four guys we have. You can't You can't ride both uh, sides of that coin for me.
4: I agree with you. I agree 100%. And look, if there were an easy solution... Someone would have figured it out by now, but you know, there's a reason we're not NBA general managers ourselves. And I guess my only worry in in talking about the cap space argument is you want the Suns to utilize their cap space to to the best possible to their best possible ability, and and you want them to start to get better because we've been getting frustrated with these tanking, losing seasons. On the other hand, you don't want to become a team like Portland, a team that locked down two really young, talented players in Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum long term. Okay. That's great. That gets them into the high forties, low fifties in terms of wins and a first round exit. But then the talent, they surround them throwing 18 million at Evan Turner, throwing 11 million at this role player, uh, Mo Harkless, 11 million at that ro- uh, role player, Myers Leonard. And, and right. suddenly you've got a right. core of decent players, but just not enough to get you over the hump. So the Suns do have to be careful at the same time.
3: Yeah, I agree with all of that. It's a difficult. It's a difficult situation for any general manager, and especially difficult for a general manager that has got a pretty short leash right now. In Ryan McDonough, a guy who, well, we don't really know. Uh, but the expectation is Ryan McDonough is sort of fighting for his job with every move he makes. We don't know how true that is. It's possible he has a great relationship with Robert Sarver, but that is sort of how uh, everyone feels. So uh, we'll see what happens. It seems like. I think the moral of this i don't think we got to the end of the story the moral of it is reporters have now reported that the Suns are out of it they're now out of these conversations and it seems like this jimmy butler deal might take a little longer than we expected uh to get done of course now that i've said that uh he'll be traded tomorrow morning right after this episode is released
4: (laughs) yep always happens every time
3: uh, the other news is Training Camp is happening right now up in Flagstaff. There's a lot of things to talk about. Let, let's save that conversation. Sam and I are hoping to get someone on the podcast for our next episode um, that is actually at Training Camp. So hopefully we have somebody on there soon, uh, and then um, we can actually have a conversation about what actually happened there with someone who looked them in the eyes and actually talked to the players in person. Uh, A couple things I want to talk about before we get to our interview, though. Um, I will be out of town for an entire week, so we're going to take about a week off from an episode. So no episode next week unless something goes down. I will be prepared if there's some sort of trade and we have to set up an emergency podcast for Sam and I. So don't be afraid if a, a new episode doesn't come next week. We'll still be posting on Twitter. We'll still be posting on Reddit, so you'll be able to talk to us online and get some updates on what's going on with us. But uh, just a short break for episodes, and then hopefully we'll have somebody on from training camp uh, there. So uh, stay tuned. But let's take a quick break, and when we come back, Gerald Bourget from Hoops Habit, an excellent Phoenix Suns writer who was at Media Day talking to us about what the players said, what the coach said, and what the general manager said. All right, we welcome on to the Timeline Editor-in-Chief of Hoops Habit and Phoenix Suns lead reporter, Gerald Bourget. Gerald, how are you doing? I'm
5: doing pretty good. How about you?
3: Really good. Very excited to have you on the podcast. Gerald was at Phoenix Suns Media Day along with every other reporter covering the Phoenix Suns and some of them that also cover the Denver Nuggets, I guess. Uh, It's really good to have you on here. Uh, How was Media Day? Let's just start there. How was it just from a general perspective?
5: It was very optimistic, and it was very um, beating around the bush in regards to the one gaping hole that's on the Suns roster. Um, You know, everybody is very up, very high on uh, how Devin Booker is going to be this year, on a lot of the wings and their versatility, and you know the veterans that, like Trevor and Ryan Anderson, what they'll bring to the table. Um, But it's very clear that this team is going to have to try to make ends meet at point guard until some other solution presents itself.
3: Yeah. The first person that spoke, it looked like I was following along on Twitter, by the way, thank you for that. Yours, your tweets were fantastic. I felt like I was there. Um, The first person that spoke, it seemed like was Ryan McDonough. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And Ryan of course was immediately asked about the point guard position. Now I feel like we've been talking about the point guard position on this podcast since it started in June, but What kind of things did he have to say and what was your impression of how we talked about it? Of course, they're going to spin it in saying, oh, this is good. This is a competition. But how did you feel about the way he answered the questions about the point guard position?
5: Right. I mean, he was very upfront. He said, um, you know, for now it's going to be an open competition between those four players, Um, you know, the two second round rookies and then Isaiah Cannon and Shaq Harrison. Um, but he was very upfront about, they're going to continue to pursue deals, um, through the preseason and leading up to the trade deadline, if need be, uh, to find an upgrade at that position. And based on all the reports we've heard outside of media day, I mean, it makes sense. Apparently they, um, you know, put out feelers on Kemba Walker, Terry Rozier, Patrick Beverly. Now we're hearing about like Tyus Jones and Jeff Teague, all all of these names, um, so they're definitely looking into deals. I think for now what they're going to do is just see who stands out at training camp and try to rely more on their secondary players and uh, Kokoskov's offense to try to make up for the fact that they don't have like a true established point guard.
3: Yeah, I think there was two guys that talked about the point guard position that I saw. It, there was first Ryan McDonough, and Ryan McDonough seemed to say that they're sort of looking on the market still. I thought what was interesting is he singled out Eli Acobo. That I think I saw that on your Twitter feed, actually. Uh, do you remember exactly what he said about Eli Akobo in that conversation?
5: Uh, about McDonough?
3: Yeah, McDonough. I think he said something about akobo has been standing out in workouts or yeah. something like that.
5: He did say that Okobo has been a standout in workout so far, um, and I think he would have to have the edge going into the draft just because – or going into the training camp just because, I mean, in the draft, they could have taken DeAnthony Melton at number 31 and instead with went with Okobo. Um, he's been there all summer, so they're a little more comfortable with what he can and can't do, so they've been watching him. Um, Melton just came a few weeks ago, obviously. Uh, Cannon's got that veteran experience of, of about five years um, but he's still coming back from, If I mean, that gruesome injury was only in February, so the fact that he's even back right now is pretty um, incredible, but I don't know if it, if he's had enough time back on the court to really seal that starting job. And then there's Shaq Harrison, who's kind of the dark horse in there. Um, he's He talked a little bit about how he's reformed his jump shot over the summer. I think he worked with Drew Hanlon, or that might have been Melton, but he's worked on his jump shot over the summer, um, and it looks a lot smoother, so... If that translates, he could be in the running, but I think right now the edge would probably have to be a Kobo, just be, just based on what McDonough said, the, the limited bit about him being a standout over the summer.
4: Gerald, if we talk about the other option when it comes to point guard, which is obviously making a trade for all of those names that you just listed, it seems like the logical candidate if the Suns are going to trade for one of the better options would be TJ Warren in terms of who they would send out just because of his contract status. Uh, In your article that you posted the other day talking about players uh, facing the most pressure, you referred to Warren as uncharacteristically exuberant at Media Day. I was hoping you could just (laughs) maybe expand a little bit on on what that looked like in person and and also just give us any insight into if it feels like... Or just explain how there's more pressure on TJ right now.
5: Right. So I think TJ Warren is very cognizant of the... View that everyone has of him in Phoenix and outside Phoenix right now. Um, if you remember on exit interviews at the end of last year he kind of got hammered because he was just so taken aback by the concept of being a sixth man. He didn't answer the question well. He was confused as to why people were asking about you know Josh Jackson starting over him and whether he'd embrace a six-man role. he really just didn't come off well um, from that exchange. I feel like that and the work that he's put in on his three-point shot over the summer, I think he kind of gets it now. He understands that he needs to have that three-point shot to have a place on this team that he needs to be able to spread the floor to keep a starting job or to play significant minutes with all these wings that this team has. Um, But he just came up to our scrum, and we were expecting, you know, normally you have to kind of go to him, surround him, kind of corner him. And the answers he gives you, he's not a very articulate guy. Um, You know, he'll give you five to six word answers, and that's very um, talkative for TJ Warren. But he was, like, generally excited to see us and, like, talk to us. He asked everybody in the circle how they were doing. um, And he gave, like, fully, I mean, as in-depth as TJ Warren is going to (laughs) get, but in-depth answers on what he did as far as his shot's concerned, um, how his form is a little bit different. Uh, how many shots he was taking over the summer to kind of fine tune that shot. Um, so he was like as excited as I've ever seen TJ Warren. And it was kind of nice because, um, you know, obviously he's a key player on the team. So it's good from an interview standpoint. And it's also good just because, you know, after a while, you start to question like, is he happy here? And he mentioned a couple times, I'm, I'm definitely happy to be back. So I think he's fully aware of the situation Um, there's definitely pressure on him because he makes the most sense as a trade candidate if the Suns are looking for a point guard. Um, but you know, they, they still haven't worked one out. So if this heads into the season, he's going to have his chance to prove that he's a different player and that he's worth keeping around.
4: Well, you also noted TJ put up 300 to 400 three pointers a day. Uh, And you also said he corrected that habit of turning his body and kicking his feet out when he landed, like he lands awkwardly when he shoots with his form. Um, so that's, that's something that we've right. noticed over the past few years as well. Now, do you actually believe that that work over the summer will lead to tangible results? Because it seems like a media day every year, you can always point to a, a certain number <laughs> of guys and it's going to be like, yeah, these guys got better. They improved their form. They added X number pounds of muscle, uh, all these things that are said.
5: Right. I mean, it's, it's tough to say just based on the evidence that we've had so far, I mean, I, it's hard to see him shooting above like 34, 35% optimistically, but at the same time, I mean, if you're putting up three to 400 shots a day, he, would, he said he was shooting until his arms felt like they were going to fall off every day. Um, there were a couple of videos that surfaced over the summer of him during workouts. And I mean, obviously they're playing against, you know, not NBA competition, but his shot did look better in those videos. And, um, I think he's got a real chance at improving that shot. Um, you know, McDonough mentioned, without being questioned about it, that his shot looked better. Uh, same thing with Kokoskov. And uh, a couple of players actually also mentioned when we asked about TJ Warren in the shot that it looked better and that he was hitting at a more consistent rate. So if that is the case, I mean, more power to him. I would still pencil it in around like 34, 35, but um, – you know, it, it's one of those It's one of those tough things for Media Day because you yeah. always hear about guys that practice a three-point... Like Andre Drummond is apparently right. a three-point <laughs> shooter now. I don't know how much... <laughs> is, but I'm cautiously optimistic that he... Re, I mean, he said that this was the only thing he focused on over the summer. So, you know, most guys are normally like, oh, I worked on everything. I worked on a little bit of this, a little bit of that. TJ was like, no, I just worked on this every day. So... We'll
3: see. So I guess we still can't expect him to pass the ball much. <laughs> no, <laughs> probably not. Improved shooting was a theme of media day, I would say. And it's a fair theme because we can talk about individually. Josh Jackson talked about improving his three-point shot. Shaq Harrison talked about improving his three-point shot. And, of course, T.J. Warren, as we just talked about, talked about improving his three-point shot. But beyond that, Ryan McDonough talked about as a team – he, he talked about three boxes that they were trying to check off. Of course, he conveniently left off point guard, but <laughs> he said shooting, defense, and vets. And I think it's fair to say that shooting has improved. I think I saw a quote from McDonough that said this is the best shooting team that the Suns have had in his whole tenure uh, mm-hmm. as a general manager of the team. Um, now, I tend to agree with that. Now, you talked to Igor Kukashkov. You you were able to talk to the coach or, or see him address the media as a whole. What was your impression of how he's going to use this sort of breadth of shooting that the team finally has?
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple of players mentioned this as well, but they said that with this offense under Igor, the spacing is just noticeably different as far as, I mean, it, it's very set on multiple actions, um, reading the defense, um, you know, side to side ball movement. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of ball movement and off ball player movement going on in this offense. So having that three point shooting is going to be huge. Um, you know, we saw some of it in summer league, but with more shooters like Trevor Reese out there, Mikkel Bridges, um, Devin Booker, obviously, there's, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how he's able to utilize so many different players on both ends of the floor because, you know, if you look at the Suns' wings, they've got some guys that can shoot threes but don't play defense, and then they've got some guys that play defense but can't shoot threes, and the only guys that kind of fit both categories are Ariza and Bridges right now. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how he utilizes that, especially when the Suns go small. Um, to try and make up for that lack of a point guard situation, um, but the players were were pretty excited about what they've learned of the new offense so far, and how it puts everybody in positions to um, you know touch the ball, move off the ball, get open looks, get good looks in their favorite spots. Um, so it seems very tailored to his team's skill sets rather than you know some coaches come in and just put in their system. Um, it seems more like it's going to put these specific guys in positions to succeed.
4: Um, I think if if you look at Igor's history, he has a clear history of being able to do that. I mean, it's incredibly impressive that he worked as an assistant coach for Detroit from 2003 to 2008, that he worked with the Detroit championship team, this grind-it-down team that would routinely hold their opponents into the 60s or 70s in points. He then immediately went on to... Serve as an assistant coach with Phoenix for five years and was a, a part of our 2010 Western Conference Finals run that was basically the polar opposite of that style. And if you just look at his career, he's been a guy who's consistently been able to adapt from system to system. Uh, and if you look at what Ryan McDonough and James Jones have both said about the reasons they had in hiring him hiring him in the first place, it sounds like that was one of the main reasons, was that he's willing to take suggestions and uh, has sort of a, a, a versatile way of going about doing things where he's not going to pigeonhole guys into certain roles just because that's his preferred way.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. Now, I just went to the State of the Suns event and I was able to see Ryan McDonough and uh, Igor Kakashkov speak uh, in person as well. And my impression of Igor was that he was... A little bit quiet, a little bit soft-spoken, but very smart and very focused. Now, I, I think a lot of Suns fans don't really know what to expect from Igor, just sort of from a personality standpoint, but even from a basketball standpoint. What was your impression, Gerald, when you spoke to Igor? What was he like in person?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much identical. Um, you know, he doesn't talk very loud. He's um, very soft-spoken, but he clearly knows what he's talking about, and I feel like he relates to the players you know not in the typical way that you hear about young guys who were just playing in the league that they relate to the players like he relates to the players in a way where there's still that um, separation between coach and player where they respect his opinion um, where he's an authority figure um, and he just knows the game of basketball really well so I think the results are going to speak for themselves once this team starts competing a little more, once the offense is flowing and guys are getting in their spots. Um, you know, he's not the most animated or um, you know, exuberant guy, but I think the results are going to speak for themselves and the Suns are going to appreciate his basketball intellect more than anything else.
3: Now, we're talking about Ryan McDonough's the boxes that he he said that they checked off or that they were trying to check off Shooting, we talked about, but another theme of Media Day and then seemingly in uh, staying a theme into training camp would be defense. It seems like the team is sort of preaching a defense first focus uh, from the top and and also from the players. Now you saw Igor talk about that a little bit, well, and and Ryan, what was your impression of that? Uh, you know, do you buy into that? I guess <laughs> yeah, it's all Media Day, but.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I I think most of the focus when it came to the defensive end, either bottled down to Trevor Reza being a good influence or ingraining it in DeAndre Ayton now that if he gets this defense thing down, like the offense is going to come for him. He's a natural on that end of the floor. He's got the frame, the body, the touch, like all of that is going to fall into place for him. But if he focuses on defense now, he has a chance to be truly special, be a two-way player, be a potential anchor. Um, I don't know if that's going to actually lead to better results. Um, but, you know, with a, a guy his size and his speed and athleticism, like he has all the tangible skills you need to be a good defender. So I think it's just going to bottle down to somebody preaching that side of the floor to him um, in a way that, you know we didn't see at U of A. And I think the Suns have a good chance of coaxing that out of him. I don't know if the Suns are going to be a much better team because, you know, their starting point guard is (laughs) one of those four guys. They've got Ryan Anderson out there. They've got a rookie at center. And then there's Devin Booker. Like when three to four of your starting lineup is bad defensively, it's probably not going to go well, but they do have more defenders on the roster. They have Josh Jackson, they have Bridges um so there's there's going to be an adjustment process but hopefully there's a slight step up from being the league's worst defense you can't really go too much further downhill than that
4: now in your personal opinion Gerald what do you think DeAndre Ayton's rookie season actually looks like because uh, well first of all what how do you do you think he's going to be utilized in the offense and also to what extent as much as Igor is preaching defense right now do you think he can step in and, and sort of anchor that defense for the Suns when that has been one of the main concerns that scouts have had uh, about him as a prospect over the last year.
5: Yeah. I mean, uh, at media day, there was a lot of talk about how maybe this year um, guys are going to target Aiton on the defensive end. They're going to put him in pick and rolls on the perimeter. They're going to give it to big guys down low, try to get him in foul trouble. Um, But if he's able to take his lumps, I think he stands a decent chance of, you know, showing people that he can improve on that end of the floor that he's not you know, the guy that we saw in college, that's not going to be his NBA destiny, I guess. Um, on the offensive end, they kind of chalked it up to, you know, we know he's going to get, he's going to get touches down low. He's going to get putbacks. He's going to get, um, you know, easy looks at the rim on lobs and pick and roll situations. Um, so I'm not sure if we're going to see, you know, too many flashes of eight and stretch five potential, but um, at the very least, he's going to bang bodies down low He's going to get points around the basket a lot like he did at Arizona. Um, You know, he doesn't have the same physical advantage, size advantage that he had in college, obviously, but um, you know, that guy's still a load in the paint. He's still super athletic. Um, There were a couple of videos of him at training camp throwing down dunks where he was looking down at the rim. So um, I I think for year one, it's going to be pretty straightforward for him on both ends. Um, But hopefully there are, Glimpses of what he's going to be able to become, um, you know, as a potential stretch five, as a guy who can score from anywhere on the floor, and, um, you know, a communicative leader of the defense, because they are emphasizing him being vocal um, and and talking to everybody on the floor.
3: One of the fun things about Media Day is you start to get to know the personalities uh, that are new to the team. Now, DeAndre Ayton is the biggest new addition to the team now as I talked about a second ago I went to the State of the Suns event DeAndre Ayton was also there and I think a lot of people when they think of DeAndre Ayton they think of this big huge personality sort of how he comes across on social media Mm. Um, but when I saw him in person and when he was speaking up in front of everybody He actually seemed a little bit shy, a little bit reserved, maybe even a little nervous. I mean, all of this is new to him. He's a massive star. There was a great quote that you tweeted about him uh, saying, do I have to do this (laughs) next year as he was walking up on stage to take questions, which was hilarious. But I, from my experience... There's two DeAndre Aitens. There's the DeAndre Ayton when he's having fun with his friends on social media where he sort of is that big personality. The guy sort of dancing or doing the DJ uh, event at the NBA Rookie Day when he's sort of around people he's really comfortable with. And then there's this sort of shy DeAndre Ayton where he maybe isn't fully prepared to be the face of a franchise as far as everything that comes with that personality wise. Do you, do you agree with that assessment or was that the impression that you got from him?
5: Absolutely. I mean, uh, he he did crack a couple of jokes, but you could tell that he's, I don't want to say afraid, but he doesn't want to be lumped in with, you know, those goofy kind of Dwight Howard, Shaquille O'Neal personalities from back in the day. Like he is his own person um he's got a couple of different personalities um and (laughs) like he like you said he does have the fun loving side of him and I think that'll come out once he proves himself in the league once he's an established star and people um you know accept his on-court game to the point where they can embrace who he is as a person but I think for now he's coming into the league with the mindset of I haven't done anything yet I haven't proven anything yet if I'm, you know, my goofy self, people are just going to think that I'm not dedicated, or they're going to think that I'm not serious about this. Um, he mentioned a couple of times at the podium what he's learned over the summer as far as how serious these guys take this game. Like this is their job, this is their livelihood. It's more than just a game. Um, and I think that was something of uh, an eye opener for him. He's still his fun self deep down, and I'm sure that's going to come to the surface quite a few times throughout his rookie year and for the rest of his career. But for now, I think he's very focused on um, buying into what Igor is telling him about, you know, you buy in defensively, you sacrifice a little bit now and you're going to be great down the road. So I, I think he's coming into it with the right mindset And uh, hopefully that fun-loving side of him comes out once he starts to establish himself
4: on the court. Someone I've definitely also seen that fun-loving side from as we're talking about new acquisitions. There was a really funny video yesterday on Instagram of Ryan Anderson and Trevor Reza talking with, uh, I think it was Tom Leander, but I don't quite remember, about how they would hype up the team in the pregame huddle. And Ryan Anderson gives this impassioned speech from the movie Troy, which is totally non-basketball related, obviously, just joking around. Uh, but Gerald did you get any sort of first impression of Ariza and Anderson at Media Day and uh, you know what their personalities are like and what they can contribute to this team both on and off the court
5: right I mean Ariza was pretty straightforward um, you know he laughed about a couple of things like someone asked him about will he miss being in State Farm commercials with Chris Paul and he was like that was <laughs> one <only> commercial <laughs> it's like that was the only commercial I've ever been in uh, but other than that you know he was pretty straightforward I think he's pretty excited about this new challenge. I mean, if you look at it, he's going from the team with the best record in basketball to the worst. So a lot of guys would kind of just be like, yeah, I'm here for my paycheck. And then after a year, I'm out here. Um, but it seems like he's genuinely excited to kind of take on this new challenge in his career, mentoring all these young wings who can learn from him on both ends of the floor. As far as being a defender goes, as far as being a consistent three point shooter goes Um, Devin Booker was talking about one thing that stood out to him in workouts was, um, you know, they were playing some scrimmages and Ariza didn't score a single point in a game and his team still won. And Ariza kind of used that as a teaching moment. Like you don't have to score to help your team win. There are other things that you can do. Um, so I think he's going to be really good for this team. Anderson is more of a personality than I realized. Um, you know, he was, was very lively, very talkative, Um, you know, looked people directly in the eye when they asked him questions, you know, came up to the mic, was asking everybody how they're doing. Like he's a very um, animated personality, which I did not realize. Um, And I think he's really glad to be here because him and Trevor are better friends than people realize. They're very good friends. They're very close. Um, And it helps to have another veteran like that in the locker room. Um, He was saying, you know, it's it's good that Trevor is here first because now I can kind of be more empowered to give my advice, give my thoughts on certain things because I'm comfortable around my friend who's also in the locker room. Like he's, he said, he probably wouldn't do that normally if it was just him in there. But since he's comfortable around Ariza, he can kind of help teach these youngsters as well. Um, and Tyson Chandler mentioned it like he was tired of being the only veteran. Uh, Him and someone else said that, you know, if there's only one voice in the locker room saying the same thing over and over, um, it's easy to tune it out. So now that they've got multiple voices in the room, multiple veterans to learn from, um, you know, when they're being told there's a light at the end of the tunnel, hang in there, keep working, it won't just fall on deaf ears this time.
3: Well, first off, what was Jared Dudley saying? (laughs) That's what I'm wondering now, because that's what he was here for. Uh, But... You talked a little bit about Devin Booker telling the story about Trevor Ariza, his team winning without Trevor Ariza scoring at all. Did any of the other Suns' younger guys talk about the veterans, whether it be Anderson, Ariza, or Chandler, and say anything uh, that stuck out to you?
5: Um, Not really any specific stories that stuck out quite like that one. Dragon Bender had mentioned um, he's already learned a lot from Ariza in their time over the summer. That's interesting. yeah, which I, I think could be good news. Uh, in training camp, somebody tweeted something about how his release is a lot quicker, and it's getting more arc underneath it now. Uh, so hopefully, that's a lasting development, um, and you could definitely attribute that to learning something from Ryan Anderson. Um, but you know, and Mikael Bridges, I think on draft night, he had said that he wanted his career, he wanted to emulate Trevor Ariza's career, which when they told him that at the media day and asking him about it, Trevor Ariza was kind of surprised he didn't, he hadn't heard that yet. Um, So he was kind of humbled. And I think there's a good interaction between Ariza Anderson and the younger guys that they're going to be kind of in charge of mentoring already. Um, which, you know, is the the status quo for what you hear from media day, but um, you know, they seem like genuinely good guys. They seem like they want to help these youngsters compete. And they're, I mean, both of them are projected to be starting right now. So mm-hmm. they won't be unhappy with their role, uh, at least for the first half of the season.
3: One thing that uh, Igor talked about, Igor Kakashkov talked about that stuck with me, was he made a point of talking about playmakers versus point guards, and it seemed like he was sort of referencing that maybe there doesn't need to be a traditional point guard on the floor at all times. Now, am I reading too much into that, or was that the impression you got? Basically, is there a chance that we see Josh Jackson play point guard or Devin Booker play play point guard in serious minutes in this coming season based on the way Igor talked about it?
5: I think there's a very good chance of that happening. Um, Maybe not as often where none of those four point guards are on the floor, but Igor's offense seems to be predicated on enabling the team's secondary playmakers like Josh Jackson, Devin Booker, um, Dragon Bender, even TJ Warren. Uh, was referenced a couple of times which kind of scares me but uh, <laughs> if they can get if they can get TJ Warren to pass you know Igor should be coach of the year um, but yeah it, it sounds like because there are so many read options in this offense and because the balls going to be moving side to side a lot and there's a bunch of secondary pick and roll sets and all kinds of different things going on it sounds like the guys on the wing are going to have a real chance to make plays um, to get involved in those secondary pick-and-roll sets. Um, and especially when that team goes small, you know Booker is a very good playmaker, a flawed one at this stage, but he can clearly see the court. Um, Bender playmaking is one of the things he was praised for coming into the draft, his ability to see the floor. Um, and then you've got Josh Jackson, who also coming into the draft was supposed to be this playmaking wing, but we didn't really see too many glimpses of it last year. So I think this year we'll see a little bit more Booker having the ball in his hands, Jackson having the ball in his hands. Um, and they mentioned Jackson specifically, both McDonough and Kokoskov as far as, um, you know, those secondary play- playmakers on the wing that might have a little more responsibility this year.
3: It's really interesting. Now, I want to wrap up with a little conversation about the rookies. There was five rookies at Media Day, is that right? <laughs>
5: Let's see. Yep, five.
3: <laughs> eight in eight a Cobo, Melton, Bridges, and King. Yes. Now that's a lot. That's a lot of rookies. Uh, but a couple of things that I want to talk about. First of all, who was the biggest personality of all the rookies?
5: The biggest personality of all the rookies was. Bron- let
3: me let me guess. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and guess. Okay. Is it Bridges, Mikhail Bridges? It actually
5: wasn't. He was kind
3: of uh, yeah. was kind of
5: quiet and reserved. Can
4: I can I guess
5: they as well?
3: Actually, they kind
5: of all were.
4: Oh, really? Ah, oh, interesting. <laughs> I was going to guess D'Anthony yeah, Melton, I, I, actually.
3: Yeah, he talks. Melton, he definitely talks.
5: Yeah, Melton has the capacity to talk. Um, <laughs> 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 I don't know. Like, Okobo is obviously very shy, being from France, and um, English, mm-hmm. not his uh, primary language. Um, and Aiton was kind of reserved. You could tell he's the biggest personality right now. Um, but Bridges was kind of just quiet and very straightforward. And then um, who else? Melton, Melton could talk and King was, um, King seems like a player who gets it. You know, he's, he's coming in on a two-way contract. And I asked him, like, you know, you're, you're coming in on a two-way contract on a, on a team that has more wings than a KFC bucket. Like, what (laughs) are you, what's your mindset going into the season? He's like, honestly, I know the situation. Like, it is what it is. Um, I just control what I can control and be my best self. And, um, you know, that should be enough down the line so he's he's very um intelligent and uh, knowledgeable about the situation that he's in um but yeah as far as biggest personality even a reserved Aiton would probably take the cake right
4: did now. you phrase your question as more wings than a kfc bucket
3: because that's great <laughs> if you did
5: <laughs> i didn't specifically do that i think i threw it in an article <laughs> At some point this week. but
3: <laughs> Now, other players, I want to talk about how other players talked about the rookies. Like, did any of the veterans, or maybe even Devin Booker, we didn't really talk about Devin Booker yet, actually, but did any of the other players talk about the rookies, or did anything stand out with how they talked about the rookies? It seems like a lot of guys are really respecting the talent that DeAndre Ayton's bringing, first and foremost.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I think Ayton was the only one that most that the other players were questioned about, just because... You know, when you, I think we had like 14 or 15 of the guys up at the podium throughout the day. So by the time you get like halfway there, you're kind of running out of steam to ask the same questions over and over. Um, but Ayton was the one that did cut, keep coming up as far as their impressions of him. And, um, Tyson Chandler's, you know, he's very adamant about wanting him to dominate on both ends of the floor just because he has that incredible touch, that incredible offensive skill set. So, He's kind of, uh, I don't want to say that he's like, you know, trying to make up for what happened with Alex Len, but you could tell that that, like he was (laughs) Alex Len's mentor and that didn't really work out, but he's very high on Aiton, saying things about him that, you know, we didn't really hear about Len and understandably so. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and a couple of guys mentioned, you know, his freakish athleticism The fact that he's really working hard and trying to better himself on the defensive end. Um, You know, they they were all pretty, they were all admitting that, you know, it's going to take some time for him to figure that end out. Um, But most people are pretty excited about what he's bringing to the court already. Um, And that seems to be the buzz that's coming out of training camp as well.
3: Gerald Bourget, editor in chief at Hoops Habit and the lead Phoenix Suns reporter. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You provided a lot of great insight for us, and thank you for everything that you're doing. Asking a lot of really great questions, and I noticed that you're a great Twitter follow. first of First of all, I'm guessing everyone that's listening is already following you on Twitter. But if you're not, make sure to follow uh, Gerald Bourget. He Post links to all the articles that he writes about he just wrote the three phoenix suns players that are facing the most pressure this season make sure and click that one and check it out but thank you one for all the stuff you do writing but two for all the little things that you notice that other reporters don't notice that you tweet about i want you to know that i appreciate it i laugh at it and it's the type of stuff that i love to see so thank you for everything that you're doing for the team and thank you for joining us on the podcast
5: yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for following along and and for having me on the podcast. This was fun.
3: Thank you very much. Coming up next, we're going to have Nate Wolf who just wrote an article about Devin Booker that we all need to talk about. So stay tuned. After this quick break, we'll be back with Nate. Math.com and covering the Washington Wizards in the Future for B-Ball Index, Nate Wolf, Nate, how are you doing? I'm
1: doing great. How are you guys?
3: Super great. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really happy to have you on. Earlier today, we're recording on Thursday night, uh, Nate posted a link to an article titled, Can We Just Admit Devin Booker Is Good? And there's not a lot of NBA players, I think, in the NBA where there would be an article titled about them like that (laughs) Devin Booker might be one of the only maybe Andrew Wiggins there's a lot of other polarizing players out there but Devin Booker seems to be the only one what sort of drew you to this subject to what sort of drew you to writing about Devin Booker in this way Nate
1: yeah well first off thanks for having me on guys um so I kind of took a little bit of a hiatus from basketball writing over the summer uh moved cities, started a new job. So it was a little bit busy. And then I, I kind of got a chance to look at like NBA Twitter from the outside looking in without writing much. So I saw a couple things. First is uh, just like as a community, I think we kind of overrate defense to an extent. Um, like when I think about the best players in the NBA, those who are Elite on offense overvalue are more valuable than those who are elite on defense. And it, it just really isn't half the game. Uh, you know, creators are more important than stoppers at a certain level. And then the second thing I noticed was all of these lists coming out recently, like the top 100, top 50 players in the NBA lists on uh, SI and ESPN. And Devin Booker was low. He was lower than a lot of guys who I would consider in the same range as him, guys like Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown um, you know he's out here putting up 25 points a game last year and you're wondering like where's this disconnect why is a guy who's putting up such big numbers albeit on a losing team you know why is he considered you know not in this same class or why are uh, you know, some people kind of hating on him and so that's why I decided to just take a deeper look and, and write this article.
3: When you started the article was it from the perspective of Devin Booker is good or was it from the perspective of is Devin Booker good? Were you, did you have a conclusion already or were you sort of just trying to delve into the subject and see what you came up with?
1: Yeah. So I think, I think probably if you'd asked me this a month ago or if I'd written this a month ago, I would have been coming in with the question. Um, But I think as I sat down to write this and kind of looked at, uh, you know, the, the film pieces that I watched and, um, looked at some of the statistics I thought like there's just no way that you can watch Devin Booker play and look at some of the you know individual numbers and not think like th- this is a young superstar this is a budding superstar and so you know kind of when I went in to write it um, you know it's a little bit snarky in some in some parts um, I was definitely I was definitely thinking yes you know Devin Booker is good I want the world to know
4: the defense thing you bring up is really interesting, Nate. I mean, I think if you look at the past few MVPs that this league has had, all of them have had questionable defense either currently or at various points in their career. And I think that's sort of an interesting question if you frame it in terms of perimeter players versus bigs. When we evaluate young players on the perimeter, guys like Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell are obvious names that come up right now. Uh, to what extent do you really think you can sort of ignore defense and, and not treat offense and defense equally in evaluating them and their talent as opposed to maybe a big where you evaluate defense as something that's a little more important.
1: Yeah. So I think defense is unquestionably more important for big men um, because just naturally like where, you know, their opponents play, they're both on the perimeter and in the paint and, you know, Devin Booker, unless he's, you know, switched on to a big man, which, you know, the Suns don't really do that much of, um, you know, he's not going to really be in the paint that much affecting play. Um, and so you know it is definitely defense is important I don't (laughs) want to like say that defense doesn't matter but the thing is that you know Devin Booker is a young player first off so he's going to have bad habits anyways he's been playing for the Suns which is like an incubator of bad habits Um, and then he's also not a player whose like physical tools are that far away from being like a slightly below average player on defense. And then when you consider, you know, the offensive talent that he has, for me it's like, okay, like, you have this player on your hands who is, you know, who deserves the big contract that he got because of what he adds offensively and because of the potential to be, you know, like merely below average defensively.
3: Why do you think it is that the world is so split? On Devin Booker, the, the basketball Twitterati, if you will. I I think that, you know, I you made a couple points in the article talking about advanced statistics, but do you think that it's related to those advanced statistics or do you think it's more related to the fact that the Suns have just been a losing team for his entire career? Um,
1: yeah, I think it has a, a little bit to do with both. So, like, over the last, I'd say, like, five to ten years, the sort of more, like, uh analytically minded NBA fans have realized that points per game is not a good indicator of how good a player is. And that's a good thing that now we have these more um, sophisticated ways of, you know, looking at a player's impact. So, you know, people, I think, look at Devin Booker sometimes, and he kind of gets labeled as this empty calorie scorer, which is a guy who you know, 15 years ago, we would look at and say, that's a good player. And today, you know, you look at a guy like, you know, like Jalil Okafor, he's just a bad player who, you know, in his rookie year, like scored a ton of points and people look at Devin Booker and they kind of like can see that archetype. Like he puts up a lot of shots, he scores a lot of points, his team doesn't win and he doesn't have good advanced numbers. That makes him an empty calories scorer, right? But you have to kind of dig deeper than that, I think. Um, and... On the other end of things, like people will just kind of watch him play and see the numbers and be like, okay, this guy does look like he came from 15 years ago, but he looks like he was Ray Allen fifteen years ago, or, you know, like Jalen Rose 15 years ago, who actually were good players. And so I think there's the split there between, you know, looking at him as this empty calorie scorer, or, you know, kind of watching him and be like, yeah, he is a scorer, and that's basically, you know, the one thing that he does extremely well, but that has, you know, exceptional value. And I think that's kind of the split.
4: I think the most fascinating thing for me, at least in evaluating Booker, really evaluating any son's prospect over the past few years is the whole debate of nature versus nurture, trying to evaluate how good players are inherently versus how much their system affects them. And in your article, I think you put it in a great way, a way that I'd never really thought about it before. You said Booker has had to teach himself an upper level college course with an outdated, coffee stained textbook and no professor and he's passing with a solid B only the most straight edge parents uh would fault him for that and sort of stemming from that discussion something that I've always wanted to ask someone who's not a Suns fan about this and talking about system create a hypothetical situation where the Boston Celtics have drafted uh Josh Jackson and Dragon Bender over the past two years and those guys work with Brad Stevens and the Phoenix Suns have drafted Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to work with earl watson and jay triano obviously there's no way that we could ever really know what comes of this but in your subjective opinion what do those players look like now after developing in those various systems and and how different are they in terms of how we evaluate them
1: yeah so first off uh credit to uh to jackson frank who writes for a bunch of different places now like b-ball breakdown and liberty ballers i think are the main two uh, for that line, he gave me that and I was like, I need to use this. Let me use oh, it. Oh, it's great. So that's all him. Shout out to Jackson. Um, but yeah, the question's a really good one. Um, I'll take it a little bit away from Boston actually. Cause the one, um, I, I, I had a paragraph that I kind of got rid of last minute, but it compared Booker to Donovan Mitchell, um, for that a little awesome. bit and you know, Donovan Mitchell, yeah, has kind of become like the golden boy of, of the Western conference um that's not really Devin Booker's title anymore he's kind of the polarizing player out there and you know if you think about it it's interesting because Igor Kokoschkov is now is coming from Utah but like if you look at Devin Booker and what he's good at you know coming off of screens downhill uh coming off of screens to shoot um kind of relocating without the ball while his team is in motion on the weak side or on the strong side and he's on the weak side like these are things that in a coherent offensive system, um, you know, these are things that happen. And on the Suns teams that we've seen the last few years, it's sort of been partially because of personnel and partially because the coaching was just bad. It's been like, give the ball to Devin and see if he can do something. And that's not exactly what he's good at, but he's kind of become you know decent at it. Whereas Donovan Mitchell, you know, who had a really great year last year, came into this just, like, perfect ecosystem for success where he had, you know, a rim-running center and Gobert. He had shooters all around him. Booker just hasn't had that to work with. I think part of it's been personnel. So, like, with Bender and Jackson you asked about, I'm not really high on either of those players. I'm really not high on Marquise Chris. Um, Like, these are guys who I think if you put them even on the Celtics or on the Jazz might not turn out that well, but... Booker specifically is, I think, a really great player who's been placed in just a bad environment personnel-wise and then just hasn't had the help you know, from a good coach who can put a coherent system into place.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good answer. And I, I always think back to the first – I think it was 30, 30-something games of the season when Devin Booker was a rookie and he still had – other players around him that were respectable, and he was shooting like 53% from the three-point line. This is a situation when he's surrounded by good players. It, it tends to make you better. That's just kind of how it works. Now, you cover the entire NBA. First off, I want to say have fun covering Markeith Morris uh, for the Wizards. <laughs> that, that That was an experience for us here on the Suns. But just to sort of wrap up this conversation, What do you think the Suns are going to look like coming into this season? So Marquise Chris is gone, and I did like that you brought him up, because seeing him in a different, uh, you know, seeing him on the Rockets will be an interesting experience. Like, that's a good situation for him. He has two guys that can get him to the ball running to the rim. He also missed the most dunks in the NBA the last two years, so let's see how many dunks he misses when he has guys (laughs) that can actually get him the ball in good positions. But looking at the Suns from an outsider's perspective, we have a new coach, that's the wild card. We don't know what he's going to be like. I'm sure you followed the draft and 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 you know DeAndre Ayton. There's also four other rookies: Mikael Bridges, Elia Cobo, DeAnthony Melton, and George King. He's on a two way. He's not going to play much. Um, Ryan Anderson, Trevor Reza are now on the team. We have some more veterans what do you think the team's going to look like? And, and obviously we're, we're probably not shooting for playoffs. Sam and I have been pretty realistic. We're saying 35 wins would be a successful th- season. You know, getting up to 40 would be like an absolute everything goes right season. Yeah. But do, do you agree with that? Or how do you view them coming into the season?
1: Yeah, I, I think with younger teams like the Suns, I don't really want to put like a a win number in place because I, I don't think that's the most important part. Um for me, it would be you know a successful season would be more growth from the youngsters like Jackson, like Booker, like Dragon Bender. Um, I think that more than Aiton, I think that Areza and Ryan Anderson will be dif- difference makers in terms of the young players' development. Um, yeah, the team's been a little bit light on shooting, um, <laughs> definitely last year and the year before. And you know, like Booker is a player who. I think in space can do a lot more than he can in kind of a crowded environment where he has to make passes that are a little bit out of his range, or he has to, you know, kind of go through players at the rim instead of having more open, open lane. And so, you know, more than just being good shooters, like Anderson and Ariza are good shooters from 28 feet. You know, they're guys who can, who you have to guard beyond the three point line. And they, they pull their men out so far. Um, uh, one thing I'm really looking forward to is the Booker Anderson pick and pop, if that ever happens, or if the uh, you know Booker and Anderson are are working on off ball screens together. Um, I think that I, I just don't know how you defend that unless you're switching every single screen. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to see seeing how they play. Um, the coach is obviously the wild card, but you would think that coming from Utah, he's going to have a bit more of a of a system in place that kind of works to his players' strengths. So, you know, I'm excited for the Suns, and uh, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. At the you mentioned
4: least. that the Suns were a little light on three-point shooting, so I just pulled it up real <laughs> quick. Um, we had five players last season who shot at least 103-point attempts, but under 30%. in uh, Marquise Chris, Ooh, yeah, 190 bad. attempts, 29%. Tyler Uless, 28%. Mike James, 27%. Josh Jackson, 26%. And TJ Warren, 22. Three of those five guys are off the team now, so we'll see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, it seemed like an emphasis from the get-go this offseason that shooting and defense had to get better. And on paper it did, but I suppose we'll see.
3: Even just being watchable will be an improvement for the Suns this coming year. So (laughs) we can hope for that at least. Uh, Nate Wolf contributor for uh, nbamath.com and you cover the washington wizards soon for b-ball index thank you so much for coming on thank you for writing about our lord and savior devin booker (laughs) we're very excited to see uh him prove the world and you uh right and the world wrong and you (laughs) right it'll be very fun (laughs) to watch him in these coming seasons so thanks for coming on thanks for joining us thank
1: you guys i appreciate it
3: no problem, and thank you for listening to the timeline. Make sure to follow us at the Timeline Pod. Make sure to follow Nate at Nate Wolf NBA and Gerald Bourget at at Gerald Bourget. Uh, thank you to both of them for joining us, and thanks for listening. Don't forget, we're taking a week off, and we'll be back the week after to talk about training camp and preseason basketballs just around the corner.
2: Tim Tompkins here from the Sun Solar Panel podcast. So you just got done listening to the Timeline podcast. Mike and Sam do a great job. I listen to every single episode. And if you're like me, you want even more sun's content. So since you've wrapped up this episode of the Timeline, head on over and subscribe to the Sun Solar Panel podcast. Chances are we have a new episode that you will enjoy. The Sun Solar Panel podcast available on iTunes, Google Play, and basically anywhere listen to podcasts sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering sunday june 6th only on showtime mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time test to gift around